0: mid-level donor. I'm a only child, so I have no perspective here, but we always talk about the middle child and <laughs> you never get the best of anything. And for some reason, organizations go like, here's our not very good major gift officer or someone who's yet to prove themselves or will slowly take someone out of annual giving instead of thinking of the most appropriate thing for them. And so it's like, oh, so I get like the tattered version of either strategy because I gave you $2,000 or $1,900 and I'm not yet in your upper bucket. And I think it was like, well, what if we were the best organization in our area around mid-level giving? What if we made that our thing, that if you gave $1,900 or just below these traditional thresholds, that would be like this penultimate moment of like, yeah, you're going places, donor.
1: Welcome to the Responsive Nonprofit Podcast, brought to you by Virtuous. Responsive nonprofits are the organizations leading with innovation to grow giving and impact. Join us each week in spirited conversation with the leading voices across philanthropy, fundraising, and nonprofit technology. Subscribe on your favorite stations or visit us at virtuous.org backslash podcast. All right. Well, welcome back to the show. This is going to be fun. I'm excited to talk to our new friend, Ben Johnson, here. He's coming to us from Victoria, British Columbia. So he's up in Canada and he started, he founded, and also runs Frontier, which is an agency that's coming alongside nonprofits and charities up in Canada to help them essentially raise more money and do more good. And Ben, welcome to the show. I know you started this in 2010. So you've been doing this for quite a while. And I'm excited for the conversation because we're going to frame it around what is a growth mindset? How do we champion growth in our nonprofits? How can we make transformational moves here in 2023? So we'll be setting ourselves up for success as responsive nonprofit leaders and leading our missions forward. So welcome.
0: Hmm, thank you so much. It's early, early morning for me, so you might hear some sips of coffee, but I'm, I'm actually pretty excited.
1: Yes, sip away. We want you to be <laughs> highly caffeinated and turn your brain on. I know it's probably what, 8 a.m. where you are right now.
0: Yeah, I think I'm just watching Don. The- <laughs> the <switcherboard. laughs>
1: Let's kick it off here. Can you tell us more about Frontier, how you got started, background, just fill us in on the context here so we can know and our listeners can hear more about you and, and the agency and what you do.
0: Yeah. And, and I think we're somewhat of a unique story is I, I call it an accidental agency because I've never worked for a marketing agency or proper fundraising firm. I started my career working at a university and then I moved to Vancouver to, and I was working at what people would know as a gospel rescue mission or just a poverty yep. relief organization. And very interesting because Vancouver, very secular town and to work at an organization called Union Gospel Mission, just as perspective, like just to see how that's the culture of a a largely faith based organization. And I was brought in as their their online marketer. And what was really funny about it at the time, because this was 2009, they were basically like, this is from outer space, so do whatever (laughs) you want. And like, I actually even read articles about like when the phone came around, people were like, maybe this will be great for policing and we'll like put a gun at every telephone. And if there's like a crime, this is very American, but like, if there's a crime (laughs) committee, you can like call down the way and like have vigilante justice And it was just like, somehow when we see new technology, it was like, this can't be related to the past. And so they were like, Hey kid, do whatever you want. So my thing was I went and grabbed the direct mail. And I started reading through the calendar and going like, okay, well, if we're doing this in paper to these people, what would be the related thing I could do in email? And so they were doing a Thanksgiving campaign in the middle of August or even early August. And I'm like, well, it is sweltering hot outside. Our Thanksgiving, by the way, is a little bit earlier. But I was like, this would be very strange to send an email in August to say announcement Thanksgiving campaign. And so it forced me to think, well, maybe I have to do something else prior and then when we get to Thanksgiving, one of the cool things is afterwards, I can send some photos. And Facebook was pretty new then, and photo albums were still things that everyone did. And I was like, oh, hey, here's some photos from the event, because it was real. And one of the things I really enjoyed was I instantly got to define a lot of the best practices we'd known now for digital. Huh. And because it was like, oh, contextually, how are people emailing is a big Part of strategy, like we might want to go back to later, because in some ways we're fighting as Frontier now, we're, we're fighting against like our own pace car of the past of best practices. And, and we can talk about that villain. But my family, we decided to move to the island and it was many years before COVID. So once you move out of the city that you you work in, that's the end, right? There was no concept of work from home or remote and as we're connecting right now. So as I was leaving, I said, like, well, what if I did this as a contractor? And that incidentally began Frontier. And then I I started running into all these nonprofits who were exploring the idea of digital fundraising. And I started making these fundraising plans for them. And the funny thing that started happening, I was like, oh, this is a great plan and everything, but could you do the
1: work? (laughs) Right, (laughs) it's the typical consultant, right?
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is great. Will you do all this for us, please? Well, and it's funny, like you stumble into it, like afterwards realizing that like a lot of people did that intentionally, and I was like, oh well, yeah, I suppose I could find someone that could help with the writing, and so I started piling together these people. Eventually, we actually had to rename ourselves. I was Frontier Consulting; it became Frontier Marketing. We got this three thousand square foot space, and we decided, like, there's no going back. Sort of the burn your boats philosophy of this is an agency now, and. The journey, which was really fascinating for me, was it was very much steeped in startup culture instead of the traditional fundraising agency, you know, the baby boomers that started them all and they named them after themselves, not to, you know, take shots at them. But it was like, we didn't realize that I was creating it in a very different way. So like we started expanding across the country and into different verticals. And one of the big ones we expanded in is is doing a lot of direct mail ever since as well.
1: Wow. Brian, I want to kick it over to you here in a second, but I I have one follow-up. And tell me if I'm completely off here, Ben. As a commonwealth country in Canada, are we talking about charities? Like, do you call them nonprofits up there at all? Is that totally an American thing? No,
0: no, no. No, there's a lot of wisdom there that, like, the reason I would say charity is you have a money printing machine once you're a registered charity, like that ability to send out official donation receipts. Mm -hmm. And the one, I would say, difference, maybe two little things. Those are registered Canadian charities versus that language of 5013C right we don't have the nomenclature of like 401k we call them registered retirement savings plans like it's i think it stays more because it's just called a charity when it's a charity and you could form a nonprofit association in a day whereas the verification process for a charity is quite intensive and a lot of the auditing of is this a charity in canada is on the organization instead of the person right because i think for yourselves you can issue a receipt to someone under it was like 250 something like that Without asking for their address? That is impossible in Canada. As a charity, the burden of proof is is really set on them.
1: Yes, I've started multiple nonprofits in the US. And yeah, it's just... Me on legal Zoom filling something out in a day, and then I got it. And then you get your IRS filing; it's retroactive back then to take tax deductions or tax deductible gifts. But mm-hmm. I spent six years in London and had to start a charity in London. And every time I call it a nonprofit, everybody's like, "Oh, you're so American!" Like it was, it was like a no no word. And so this is a charity, but yes, there was a much higher hurdle, and also getting top off community or I guess governmental donations back to the organization was a huge thing for us as well if if you had done everything correctly in the process setting it up in the first place as a charity, registered charity.
0: It's just funny and not to talk politics, but it's my mom moved down to Arizona. And just a huge, huge Republican fan. And, and I'm I'm like elitist liberal over here on the West Coast. <laughs> and she was like, oh, look at this stuff about socialism. And I was like, mom, we're a socialist country. <laughs> <laughs> you don't go straight to Cuba. And sometimes I actually forget like how much uh, government supports nonprofits, if we we're to kind of use that language in, in Canada. And actually, we have some clients in back. And, and there's a huge history of the Catholic Church as well being sort of tied in with government. That's its own discussion there. But it's actually the philanthropic scene was quite delayed because of that. Because there's the, if you mm. think about it, there's just so many supports. There isn't that overt need to start a food bank if there is this Catholic ministry in place funded by the government or just in terms of like all those catches in place. What I've loved of like when we talk about generosity and growing a nonprofit, you actually have to grow the culture of giving as
2: well, right? And that's that's where I want to double tap. So I think you're, you're onto something there where an orientation towards growth both culminates in what I would say is mindset and behavior. So I think like I'd love to set the stage. You've worked with a lot of organizations since 2010. What are the common trends that you see from a growth mindset that helps set up an organization for success.
0: One of the things I talk about to people is like, it's not to be all positive about it, but it's like, it's a journey, not a destination is a common phrase, but it's like, you have to really lean into the fact that we were never going to arrive. And the unfortunate part about a charity model and annual giving is you hit reset every year. There's a joy into this, the fact that like I'm 10 years into working with a little bit more than that now to one client. And this idea of like, oh, maybe we've peaked. Maybe this is the saturation point. Maybe this is the end. And it's like wrap the knuckles of like, no, there's no way you've optimized everything in the fundraising environment you're in. Are we discovering more about how to convince someone to be generous and, and just the best version of themselves? And I And I think where you're talking about is like, how do we get outside the mindset of our budget and like, Oh, our needs as an organization. I think the best growth mindset someone can have is in a funny way. Like I want to have a polyamorous relationship with a lot of people. And so once you start to think of it more of a relationship framework, you stop being that jerk that only wants to talk about yourself where you're like, Hey, I'd love to, you know, meet some more donors. And like, maybe when I sit down with them and tell them all about myself and my needs, they'll be really excited to partner with me. Oh, man, like, who'd you learn that from? What dating psychologist would have told you, like, when you meet <laughs> someone, just you focus on number one, buddy, right? And that was like the history of like nonprofits for so long. It's like, you know what? Let's talk about the organization's needs. You know what the coolest thing to talk about? Our fiscal year end. We have a shortfall. <laughs> right?
1: <laughs> Mm -hmm. wait wait that doesn't work very well hang on
0: time out and i think we're like the step after that we we made a bit of a mistake in terms of like okay growth mindset is like we'll focus on them the you we'll learn a little bit from commerce in that sense of like more of a you versus an us i think what the unfortunate part is the commerce and e-commerce world is great at tackling that narcissism with a person and then our natural desires and to be like, oh, I want more. And was it Spirited? That just, uh, it was a Christmas movie with yeah. Ryan Reynolds, fellow Canadian and Will Ferrell. And like Ryan Reynolds did such a great job of tackling that base desire we have of like nostalgia and Christmas and festering hate within that gets a, a lot of that base emotions if we know about our hierarchy of needs. But I think the ultimate growth mindset is realizing this is our o- opportunity to bring someone to self-actualization. It's mm. like, if I was mm-hmm. like, wait a second, I feel like the best version of myself when I part with money for other people and the the better you are at facilitating that as an organization, just in terms of like what truly is fundraising. I I think that's when you realize that's a never ending journey of improvement.
2: This has really cool threads with other, like a lot of other conversations that we have. I think I said Mm -hmm. this in like the last recording that we recently did where when I started in fundraising... I had to go through my own mindset shift because I showed up for the mission, but I stayed for the people. Yeah. Right. And like, as a fundraiser, I realized like, Oh, I'm, I'm not just a steward of our mission. I'm actually a facilitator of all these different people that I'm building relationships with on what they see for themselves on their own path. And what does it mean to live the life we want to live? Right. And it was like, oh, this is my ethos as a fundraiser. Like, it's funny that you use the word self-actualize because that was what I would use in my, essentially like my mantra. I saw myself as a mentor and a coach for Very people cool. on their path yeah. to self-actualization. So there's like really cool overlaps there. But yeah, I think I, I think you nailed it. And I also think another thing that I've personally seen is before we hit record, we were talking about a campaign that I did about a decade ago with the team at Invisible Children called Kony 2012. Now, 10 years ago, Invisible Children went through a hypergrowth stage and we were we had a singular focus, right? Like stop warlord Joseph Kony. Stop a man in Central Africa from abducting children. I think 10 years later, you asked the question, have you caught him? he's still out there in the world, but what's interesting is the organization has evolved and adapted in such a way that they're actually not just treating the base symptom of one warlord anymore. Their whole mission has evolved and grown to actually treat all of the negative ripple effects of what does war do to an entire country and region? And how are we pivoting our mission and mobilizing people who care about this issue in this area to help steward more impact? So like, Mm -hmm. To your point earlier, the mission never ends. We used to think that we were on a mission to the moon and we were just going to like plant the flagpole on the moon and be done. And no, like the needs completely shift. Mm. So anyways, I just I really resonate with a lot of the wisdom you shared there. Like if
0: someone was like, okay, well, like if we did have this mission mindset and then we realized like, uh oh, we want to be more broad than that. If you think of it maybe as a relationship it's like, hey, you know what? My needs are a little bit different. I I It turns out I'm going somewhere else in life. And Mm -hmm. I think there's a temptation on the fundraising team or like maybe we could talk about like kind of the difference between sales and, and marketing within fundraising in a moment. But like when you're like, oh, well, how do we hide this or not talk about this or make it seem the same as it ever was? it's like, mm-hmm. no, 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 no. What does it mean to be more authentic within a relationship? And I think that's where an organization's in the for-profit world, we talk about a unique selling position where it's like, what is your 30 second elevator pitch? All mm-hmm. of it, like kind of the bro science parts of business. And it's like, what's really great about it is like, what actually makes you, you, it's actually the flaws or it's actually the things that you're tempted to hide. And where it's like, hey, you know, my voice is a certain way that actually makes me me instead of changing it to be like a computer average or like my face. And like and and what we learn as people is to accept ourselves for who we are. That's like the greatest opportunity, at least from like a marketing context I know well, is to be like, hey, here's the thing. This is changing in this way. Here's what we've discovered as a people. It isn't about chasing one guy. It was a rallying point for us for this time. And then while we were doing this, this is what we discovered. And it was actually, this was the highest and best of your gifts during that time. And so here's how we're pivoting as an organization, ideally not using that word because a it makes me think (laughs) of friends, but like, here's how we're trying to address the needs as they actually are. This is even more so where I want to see you as a partner, as a donor. And especially getting their buy-in of like, hey, like we've discovered something. There's a delta in who we are. Like I'm a dynamic character. Like if we think of it like Pixar, all of a sudden it's like you learning to be a better version of yourself as a charity because it was somewhat of a simplified mission before, right? Hmm. And that's an opportunity, especially on the highest form of giving to be like, do you agree that we should go down this path? Because if you get a higher value donor to feel like they were brought into it, it becomes our mm-hmm. mission, right? Right. Like we decided on this. And, and I, I think that's where there's that temptation to hold back the truth of who you are as an organization, as humans, that shame and guilt, like, oh man, we really overshot ourselves here. How do we hide that? It's like, no, actually that's the coolest. Op- Whenever I come into an organization that's really ready for a growth mindset, we talk through the icky things of like, well, we had a hospital foundation where they were talking about like, there's some stillbirths. How do we talk to people who are in our database where this happened? I was like, how do you talk about how they're part of the community? That it's not just like the successful births factory, right? That this is an organization that has complications that happen and not every story is a happy one. And that we're like, we're so glad to honor those stories and that those people do make up members of our community. Like that, you you can probably feel it now. It's like, you, you feel the depth of it so much greater.
1: This episode is brought to you by Virtuous. Are you stuck using outdated, slow, and redundant technology to power your nonprofit? It's time to make the switch. Virtuous gives your organization the fundraising, volunteer, and marketing tools you need to create a more responsive donor experience and grow giving. Want to learn more? Get a personalized demo today at virtuous.org slash demo. That's virtuous.org slash demo. Ben, you mentioned a minute ago, not only helping the donor or potential donor to self-actualize, but also the organization to truly authentically be who they are. Leadership, the people they help, the mission, just really being who they are. But in that conversation, you, you also mentioned like sales and marketing. That piqued my interest because I want to pull on the thread and hear more about what the thought process was there, because those are not typically words that I'm hearing thrown around with nonprofits. Yeah. It's more of in my startup entrepreneurial world. So tell, tell me what you're yeah. thinking. There.
0: And I think at the end of the day, a lot of my journey is I am entrepreneurial and I'm in the business world. and for some reason, there's a like this long-term resistance to share in the idea that we're we're just part of the same economy that charity and for-profit or nonprofit and profit kind of thing. And one of the the tricky things is a, people seem to like accidentally become fundraisers. Like it's not treated as like, oh, I want to go to school for this and and I want to be this facilitator of generosity and and really just kind of way Brian described it as like a broker or a matchmaker, right? Mm. I want to be this person who facilitates between a donor and the charity. And it just so happens to be that the charity pays for that role. And so the word fundraiser is a tricky one. like Or fundraising, what is that? And I actually think it's the burden of like both marketing where there's comms, And the fundraising team, that's a challenge. But then, oh, I'm a solicitor or I'm a major giving officer. You're in sales, right? You have a book of business, you meet with people, and Mm -hmm. you close deals. What Mm -hmm. else is it? And like (laughs) all the software is moves management. Oh, for sales. And it's like, do you have a good sales script that you work through with someone, right? For their purchases and, and renewals. Like it might as well be insurance that they're selling and then, oh, there's a department that somewhat competes with them, but is, is ideally in tandem. And they send out direct response materials as a marketing group, like the one to many. And what I always found was strange is, um, so I have all these hangups around AFP world and CFRE, because as the, the kid in online fundraising 12 years ago, I had like clacked together some keys, raised millions of dollars. And they're like, wow, it's not like you did it on one deal if they were to use that language. And I was like, well, every year this organization is getting millions of dollars because it's very marketing driven. And I think, how do we learn marketing tactics at large, right? Like then self-actualization, when we talk about it, that's a key part of persuasion kind of thing, right? So it's like, I, like, what is it like to do persuasive marketing is really important for anyone to learn, so long as they're doing one to many communications for a charity. If you're doing one to one, you need to like get some Zig Ziglar tapes and learn about sales, right? <laughs> and I think it's unfortunate that like, if we were a Ford dealership, we'd say that person sells cars, there's sales, and then the magazine or the newspaper ad, that's marketing.
2: Not to keep pounding the Invisible Children drum, but but we we also were doing back in basically 2009 to 2012, we were doing a lot of really savvy digital marketing in order to mobilize people in digital peer-to-peer fundraising. And we do a campaign for a hundred days once a year, and they would always raise between one and 3 million bucks. And right. And it was, it was this thing that we would rinse and repeat. But I think the thing that we were selling, even though our mission was something completely different, the thing that we were selling was no matter what age you are, no matter where you're from, no matter what your life experience is, you have the power to make a difference in the world and mm-hmm. we believe that this is this problem that exists in the world today should be able to be eradicated by people coming together people just like you that can mm-hmm. do that with us and like people saw a part of their own fabric of their identity yeah in the fact that we were giving specifically young people our average donor was 16 we were giving young people a platform to say i matter My voice is powerful. I am worthy. My time here matters. And like, that was the channel. And our marketing engine was built around that. So again, everything that you're saying here, like just, I'm sort of having flashbacks where I'm like, oh man, we were doing this 10 years ago. Like, that's wild.
0: There's some pretty cool elements to that. Where like, for one, is like COVID happens and people are like, man, this digital revolution. And I think for folks like us, where we're like, ah, it just feels so weird because I've been doing it for like a decade before this. This has been a thing for a while, right? And when you talk about identity, that's a really big one.
2: Mm -hmm. I actually thought that, and again, like I don't want to minimize all of the pain and suffering and trauma that came along with COVID, but I think for a lot of organizations and people in our sector... For me, I actually saw it as a springboard into the future, right? Like nonprofits yeah, 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 are his- historically yeah. 10 to 15 years behind the corporate sector. And it was like, whoa, the nature of this environment is actually a forcing function for organizations to innovate. And for organizations that don't innovate and adopt a responsive growth mindset, those organizations are going to struggle to grow into the future. Right. I think something that you hit on a little earlier, Ben, was this idea of listening first. And that is actually the first quadrant of the responsive fundraising model. Mm -hmm. When we think about our donor cultivation acquisition flywheel, we actually believe in our methodology that the first thing we have to do before we do anything is listen. And that's everything in one-to-one conversations, but that's also using tools and technology to be able to look at what stories of impact and messaging resonates most with your donors? Where are they spending time on your website? What is the frequency in which someone goes to your donation page and abandons it or gives you a gift? What are all of the different touch points that we are looking at in terms of listening that actually tells us a human story about someone on the other side of a screen?
0: So I grew up in small towns and I, I joke, I, I like to think, I, I think at a higher level, but I speak in lowbrow English. So like, if we were kind of like, what what do we mean by like listening and mobilization? And, and again, that, mm-hmm. that framework of sales is I need to persuade you to do something. If we're to be biblical, like, don't just hear the words, do what it says. And it's like, I need to convince someone to do an action. And the strange part is they don't get a traditional payoff. We talk about like generosity isn't natural because it's not a survival thing the word charity is to care for my fellow man to use that kind of the word broadly and frankly that's not the best thing for me i have to care for my circle first and foremost so like what is the benefit to go beyond that and that's that we have to help someone go beyond their their survival and their scarcity mindset i think it's difficult because a charity is often steeped in a scarcity mindset themselves right, as an organization. Right. well you don't you don't deserve a raise rob Hmm. We need to be sacrificing ourselves and and, and that sort of, not necessarily a victim mindset, but maybe even a a martyr one. And then if someone says identity or listening, it's like, how do I help someone feel seen? I have to actually know stuff about them. If, If I wanted to be an amazing con artist for charity, I call it the long conversion instead of long con. It's like, I actually have to know a great deal about them to help them feel seen. Because it's like, well, why listen? You're listening so that you can repeat back to them. Like in a great Mm. sales process, you say like, hey, Rob, what I've heard is this. Is that right? Okay, well, then considering this, it sounds like you need that. Mm. And he's like, oh, I really feel like you understood my needs, right? And, And I think it's sort of like these frameworks have been available to us for so long. That's when we're like, so you're saying the future of data is identity? And it's like, just so you know... It's like that story of when I was like 22 years old, working at UGM, where are like, oh man, what would we do with the internet? Maybe the things we've been doing forever, <laughs> connecting with other humans and making yeah. it feel like a real connection. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's, I think that's the exciting part about uh, maybe a growth mindset is like, again, working another biblical phrase is like, there's nothing new under the sun. Everything we're trying to do is be more authentic and, and connect better.
1: Right out of college, I was going on these trips across the world. I went to China like eight times. and. <laughs> I was going on these trips to work in US English schools and also it was a ministry and help just have conversations with folks, but I had to go raise a bunch of money and I'd never done that before. And one of my mentors gave me a book called people raising. And he's like, look, you are not fundraising. You're building relationships with people. Like that's all this is, you know? And so it was like, who are all the people, you know? And, you know, and I made a, like an A list of all the folks and then a B list. And I'd work through the A's and go to the B's and C's. And I found it like, so easy to raise money if I'm actually <laughs> just building a relationship with the other person and, and it, all the stuff you're talking about, like listening to them, being a friend, trying to go authentic with them, developing trust with them. And then, of course, as you build a friendship and trust, then, of, of course, they want to give you money to help with whatever the mission's going to be or whatever you're doing. So I was just thinking about that while you were explaining. One of the things I want to dive into just a little bit here is I was poking around your website and actually, being responsive is one of your core values. Is that right, or, or maybe the like yeah. responsive yep. mindset? But I'm sure not only as an agency you're trying to embody this, but this is obviously what you are are training your when you're consulting. This is what the the framework that you're leading your folks through, right?
0: Yeah, and I think one of the things we could talk about is I think the strange sand in the engine of responsiveness is best practices. So there's the internal to like colleague to colleague. Because if, if my colleague doesn't get back to me, that just grinds the gears of, of productivity within an agency. But then, you know, how do we in a very client driven agency, like if and, and understanding the anxiety that a charity has in trusting an agency uh, that like, you know, especially the pre-Zoom days, like it would be nice to have a colleague I could go into their office and be like, are you working on this? Is like, how are you dealing with this? And like, just to honor that the relationship with an agency involves a huge amount of trust. Mm. because like your boss can go into your office and be like, what's happening here, Brian frontiers on it as as far as I know, but they haven't been getting back to me, but like, I just wish I could run to their office and strangle someone right now, but like, I just have to trust. And and then this relationship with donors where we're periodically communicating to them and doing these fundraising campaigns. Like how do we not get like locked in a certain pattern ourselves? Mm. Because like, what is responsive is like, Oh, you're just same old, same old all the time. Right. And like, you know, how are you changing to honor people? Or if there's a is there a crisis within the community that you serve as the beneficiaries, like, have you been adapting your services in any way? And And I think this idea of like empathy driven as an organization should mean that you change in some way all the time, right? I don't like data driven for one particular reason in and then it's like the it was birthed out of that Silicon Valley culture of like guys that look like us and and I got to be that twenty-three year old that was receiving a lot of trust and like unpacking and kind of unlearning what it means to be that Silicon Valley culture and like what data driven is actually kind of missing out on to just a little bit more of being responsive. Because mm-hmm. like at the end of the day, when someone says data driven, it means I change my opinion based on new information. Not that like robots are the ultimate source of knowledge, right? Like you know, we mm-hmm. see data driven. It's not like we just look at numbers and, and well, what is done. Good. It is like we receive inputs and, and are adaptive kind of thing.
1: Yeah, the data mm-hmm. has to inform the ways in which we are responsive as humans to other humans, right?
0: Yeah, and, and then there's so many, like when we say data, it could mean getting all sorts of positive feedback that like, wow, I really, really like the story that you guys were telling, mm-hmm. right? And it's like, oh, what mm-hmm. about that? Oh, it was just mm-hmm. really seemed like a great mother daughter, and I think where I want to encourage organizations is qualitative feedback is incredibly important because often, like say it's early January right now, we ask clients like you know how many nasty emails did you get in the last little while for the the your Christmas and year end campaign? Let's have that moment. Were any of them real? Obviously, someone can just mad at me and mad at you and and they were having a bad day. But like, let's go through them as painful as it is to address. Yeah, it's great. We raised half a million dollars or a million dollars. But what was the other side of that, that we can kind of maybe like take a moment and say, is there anything we need to tinker? And I think that culture of optimization, which is really good, is what are we hearing that we can guide ourselves in a slightly different direction versus that kind of dualistic on off? Oh, let's cancel this campaign. I got too much negative feedback.
2: One thing in terms of responsiveness, and I'm going to pull a stat here that I know doesn't actually apply to Canada but I'm trying to make a point is the giving USA report last year was able to identify that over 60% of all giving comes from low and mid-level donors but you know that's like a percentage of giving but in terms of dollar volume and and who is having the biggest impact right like we're still being carried by a shrinking donor pool of major givers that only makes up about 10% of giving and part of Virtuous's mission is to help nonprofits be able to scale the personal relationships that they're building, not just with the top ten percent with givers, but with all givers, mm-hmm. right? And so, like when we talk about looking at the data and looking at like what is actually the growth opportunity for a nonprofit, there is incredible green space for the relationships, as well as like the long-term experience that a low and mid-level donor can have with your organization. And, you know, from our prior conversations, I know that this is also something that you're passionate about. So I wanted to make sure that like practically and tactically we hit on this note because it is such an incredible opportunity for organizations that I think sometimes falls by the wayside. And so like, what are some things that nonprofits can do today to start, start along the process of incorporating these donors into their growth strategy? Like, what does that look like from your perspective?
0: Yeah. And I I think there's like the cool thing about game theory, if we ever like, go watch A Beautiful Mind is like, great. World Vision exists. Fantastic. There's really big organizations in the US, like the top 3%. It's just enormous if, if it's two-sided it's not just there's very large donors who will give to the university of southern california and then boom there's another billion step one i think charities should avoid the top numbers oh let, tell me about the state of the economy or the state of giving and actually kind of like one of the things that tells me this would be like a moment where i'd want to swear speaking that lower english but it'd be like <laughs> own the space in French. Guys. like yeah, yeah yeah it's like we're about 10% of the whole economy just so you know fundraising's a huge space and that's a good thing versus like you know what there's a lot of restaurants i don't think i should start a restaurant because it's already been invented oh and i saw this huge chain so there's probably no space f- for another one like that's that scarcity mindset again they're like i don't like this there isn't enough room for the both of us here denny's he's like you know what like you can still start a, your own breakfast restaurant and it can actually be niche of niche of niche. And that makes it even more of a viable business. And I think where I'm getting for the charity side, because it's, I think it's helpful to think in sort of like, here's a metaphor. I know my favorite restaurant in Berkeley. How could I become that version of that as a charity? And I think, how do I understand my customers better? And it's like, we're going to be the most amazing charity for someone who drops 100 bucks here. Their mind is going to be blown. They're going to give a hundred bucks and then a New Orleans style parade is going to go outside their home and be like, you're one of our top donors. Just so you know, you're deciding the future of this organization and you are very closely connected to the people we serve. This is becomes guerrilla marketing in that sense. Your gift puts you in the top 3% here, son. And I was like, oh, really? Like, actually I'm a drop in the bucket everywhere else. It's like, yeah, they don't see you the way I see you. And so like, and that that's in the form of stewardship. And so it's like, how can you outsteward organizations who become bigger machines? And I think the huge opportunity is what you kind of quietly said there, which is the mid-level donor. I'm an only child, so I have no perspective here, but we always talk about the middle child. You never get the best of anything. And for some reason, organizations go like, here's our not very good major gift officer, or someone who's yet to prove themselves, or will slowly take someone out of annual giving. Instead of thinking of the most appropriate thing for them. So it's like, oh, so I get like the tattered version of either strategy because I gave you $2,000 or $1,900 and I'm not yet in your upper bucket. And I think it was like, well, what if we were the best organization in our area around mid-level giving? What if we made that our thing that if you gave $1,900 or just below these traditional thresholds, that would be like this penultimate moment of like, yeah, you're going places donor. So I think in terms of like, number one is strategy of like, how do you become very thankful? Or if there's weak spots, turning them into strengths. And I think Apple did an amazing job of that, of like, if you ever have a physical issue with your Apple, and then you walk into a genius bar, that's when people became evangelists of the brand. And I was like, I love it even more after it broke. And I think the language of that within charity is when I call, is it amazing? Or is it like, oh, hey, yeah, I'll get you off the direct mail program. I hate it too. Or it's someone who doesn't like receiving phone calls just in general.
1: Mm, that's good insight. I like that, the mid-level giver and... The attention and focus on it and being the best in that niche. I think that's really helpful for nonprofits and especially as we're looking at 2023 and making mindset shifts, transformational growth shifts, whatever it's going to look like to pivot, like you were saying earlier, based on the conditions and society in which we're in and trying to be the best we possibly can and, and lead well with our organizations. So we've jumped all over the place. Brian <laughs> yeah, this has yeah, been good. Yeah,
0: yeah.
1: We, we've hit a lot of topics. I want to be cognizant of our time. And so I I want to bring it home and ask you the question that we like to give all of our interviewees, folks that come on and join us in the conversation. And the question is, what does generosity mean to you? So you can answer that however you want to, but I think it's fascinating hearing the answers. And I think it's really inspiring a lot of times.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's when we talk about self-actualization, that like that stepping outside of ourselves before that is transactional the step after that is I don't think I'm getting something back and it's I'm stepping outside of myself is what I would think about kind of like going beyond my, my personal experience.
1: Hmm. Yeah,
0: that's good.
2: Beautifully said. Yeah. Ben, thanks so much for spending this time with us. I want the listeners to know if they want to connect with you, if they want to learn more, if they want to, bring you amongst their ranks so that you can help them unlock growth and more generosity, where can they find you?
0: Yeah. And if you aren't on LinkedIn, like now's a good time to be in that community. But so um, (laughs) let's kind of look for Mr. Ben Johnson there or Ben at frontier.io. And and I just love to consult organizations and kind of be that enthusiasm for them of like, yeah, you you can grow. That's your choice. Mm,
2: Beautiful. Beautiful. Well, we'll make sure to include Ben's contact information and the links to Frontier in the show notes. So head to the show notes on wherever you're listening and get in touch with Ben. Thanks so much for spending time with us today. And here's to a year ahead full of growth and more generosity in the world. Thanks in part to the work that you do. Thanks so much, Ben. See you next time. And that's a wrap, folks. Thanks for tuning in this week to the Responsive Nonprofit Podcast we are so grateful for your time. We know how busy you are and consider it a privilege to journey alongside you as you work to make change in our world. We believe in you and would love to hear from you. Projects like this are only as good as the feedback we get, the guests who come on, and all the topics we get to discuss. So if you have an idea, if you know of an impactful guest that must come on the show, or if you wanna be a part of the responsive community, check us out over at virtuous.org podcast and join the conversation. Don't forget to subscribe on your favorite station. Your mission needs your collective talent and passion. So go forth and lead the charge forward and we'll be here cheering you on. We'll see you next week.